Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 311, recorded November 22nd, 2022. And I am Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Rilu Cunha. So welcome, Rilu. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we uh, jump into the topics. TLDR is uh, I'm a machine learning engineer at a data and AI consultancy company called Data Roots. Um, I'm from Brazil, but I actually live in Belgium. And I guess that's that's all. That's it. <laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for showing up. It's great to have you here. Well, Michael, why don't you kick us off with the first topic? All right, let's kick it off. I've got I've got some fun stuff. Let's see what Marilo thinks about this. This is uh, it's a little bit mathy what I got going on here. Uh, that is not the right screen. How about that screen? So this comes in from a one of the big friends of the show, Brian Skin, and he he sent me a tweet and it just says what at Python Bytes, and it's a it's a quote tweet uh, from somebody here saying. Holy Latexify is the sexiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and, and, and look at this. So when I, I studied a ton of math and the symbols of mathematics are really important and they communicate stuff like really, really quickly. You can scan over and you see the symbol for the real numbers or you can see the, the symbol for subset or, you know, infinite sum. And you're like, I know what that means. When you translate that into Python or into computer code, it usually become something kind of gnarly looking, right? So the example here uh, on this tweet has a function called solve and it's solving the quadratic equation, um, I guess just for one variation of the root, not the plus minus, but that's fine. It, it just says like negative B plus math dot square root B star star two. It's like symbol soup, right? Yeah. So this latexify thing, latexify, latex is the language of expressing those symbols the way mathematicians would have written them in, you know, the 16th century or whatever, like the, the fancy flowing sort of, uh, you know, some symbols and integral symbols and whatnot. And so what this does is you just put a decorator onto that Python function. You say latexify dot with latex, latex. When you show that function in a notebook, it shows the math, formal mathematics of it. Wow. Like... Like there's one that was uh, doing, like I said, the quadratic equation. Another one that says, if X is zero, return one, else return math uh, sine of X divided by X. And then the symbols is like this sort of like branching equation, you know, like what you would write that in LaTeX conceptually. What do you think? Oh, wow. Is that That's insane? So cool. This is yeah. great. But it just changes the the REPL of the function, I guess, right? Like if you call the function, it's all fine. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't right. change the function at all. It changes the repper or the stir. So if you do this outside of a notebook, what it prints out, let me see if I can somehow uh, communicate this back. So if you print it out, what it, it returns, oh, I, do I have it here? No. Yes. Uh, there. No, that's not it. Sorry, I don't have it. What it prints out is the LaTeX escape codes. So okay. it'll say like, um, backslash frack of, you know, like it's, it's a weird, I don't know how to write LaTeX. I did a little bit when I was studying math and then I said, that's something I never need to remember and ex you know, shot it out of my brain. Um, never again. Yeah. Like that. Why do I need to know this? I don't need to know this, but yeah. So the, the repper is, is just the, um, the LaTeX escape codes and then the notebooks see that and then they render it as, as LaTeX. That's pretty cool. And then, but one of the nice things about this then is you can, um, you might have like the math that you're trying to convert to code and then you can like check your answer. You can just, just see, did I get it right uh, in yes. code? So yeah, it's pretty cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. Cause you round trip it, right? Yeah. I'm assuming people are doing this on their own code. So they're, you know, 
Or I guess it you begs could the question about the inverse. Yeah. Right. It's like, hey, if I have the the math symbols, could I turn this into a Python function? I mean, I don't see why I can't go both ways. Sure. Yeah. True. But I still think it would be easier to write the Python function <laughs> than the LaTeX code for, for rendering it. Yeah, that's that's true. I think it's a pretty niche use case. Well, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure someone's gonna find a use a cool use case for it too, right? Yeah. Uh, this is this, this is pretty interesting. Uh, we got um, a couple of live comments. So Madison, hey Madison, out in the audience. Madison's been on the show before. I'm blown away by how libraries like this are able to make math approachable. I wonder how this could be used with auto-generated documentation. Very cool. I agree. And Henry yeah. also says, I'm guessing it's working on the bytecode like number, uh, but compile it into a human language. Yeah, compile it into the the LaTeX escape codes, which is not basically, human, but yeah, <laughs> which is the opposite of unreadable, but it is text, right? Uh, uh, and you know, related to this, just um, as uh, oh, yeah, Henry, senpai, uh, okay, uh, it's using inspect, get source, and parsing the AST, yeah, perfect. Another thing that's amazing that people check out, like the the senpai stuff, it does um, some really, really interesting things. Like if you go say to like calculus, uh, you take a limit here. Um, it'll it'll do similar outputs as well, right? So you could put in this this, uh, and it'll actually hmm. express it as symbolic math, and it won't lose precision because it solves it symbolically. And you can say like you know factor this equation. So that's kind of related, but but this just says given any arbitrary Python function not written in the symbolic form, just turn it into a LaTeX, which is pretty amazing. So anyway, thank you, yeah. Brian Skin, for pointing that out. That is uh, pretty neat. One final comment. I could not get it to install on my Apple Silicon Mac. Maybe that detail matters, but I couldn't get it to pip install. I, out of PyPI, I had to pip install the Git plus the GitHub URL, and then hmm. it would install. I don't know why, but if people want to play with it, that might be necessary. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. Over to you, Brian. <laughs> All right. Well, while we're talking about math, um, uh, I'm, I'm often working in the measurement world and uh, where we care about like prefixes a lot. And, you know, a lot of people do with big numbers or small numbers. Um, and this was uh, actually suggested by, to us by Avram. Um, and I think he's the I think he's either works on this or it's his project. It's a project called Prefixed. And uh, what this does is it's just it's a class. It provides a f class called Float, capital F. That is a uh, derives from the uh, the built-in float, um, and it supports um, scientific uh, decimal or scientific and yeah IEC, which I'm not familiar with um, prefixes. Uh, so things like um, uh, scientific like K and S and things like that. Um, if you go look at all the metric prefixes, you got like um, uh, there's some new ones, but uh, N, K, Mega, Giga, things like that. And it just, um, so it adds these onto uh, when you print them. So it acts just like a normal float. Most of the time you can, you know, use it in math equations and everything. But the interesting things is if it is using, used in math, a uh, math equation, the result will be a, uh, one of these um, um, prefix float types. But then the okay. nice thing about it is when you convert it to a string, it, uh, it includes the little, the little prefix prefix thing or the suffix or whatever the little uh, micro or k or m or something like that um so uh i think this is actually super helpful um i'm going to use this right away because I, I you know i use a lot of like big big and small numbers and reporting out just the huge thing or just the float is sometimes horrible uh to compare with so this is this is pretty cool <clears throat> it's very clever i love how how simple the idea is so you can just f string one of these floats and say colon 
0.2H and that'll convert it to its, and the H tells it to be either, you know, kilo or micro or mega or, you know, whatever suffix is needed. That's cool. Right. And then that there's a the byte example where they 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 said, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use uh, the capital B for bytes, but that's after the the formatting of the number. Um, and then the the K comes in from the the float thing. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, one of the other things that he passed along is there's some new prefixes. So this is um this is apparently new. Uh, new scientific prefixes over the last um for the new first ones new new ones for the last thirty years apparently. So we have uh, uh, 10 to the 21st, which is Zeta, and 10 to the 24th, which is Yada, and uh, then negative is Zepto and Yocto. So these are fun. Maybe why why now? Why did they, they decided to like <laughs> need to, they have more money now and they need to come up with new uh, prefixes or like exactly? Uh, I'm not sure why we need new prefixes, but. Our microscopes can now see smaller things. We don't have words for this, that things are this small. Like, yeah. Yeah. But um, oh. uh, um, national debt, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very possible. But, the, uh, but also Avram notes that Prefixed does handle these new ones. So cool. Good job. Cool. One yeah, thing in Python nice. too, you can put the underscore, right? To Like if you put underscore on the thousands, that also, that's something that, Makes it easier, I think, to 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 read the numbers too. That's what I was yeah, using like the now. digit grouping. Yeah, yeah. Do you do for, that a lot? Not a lot, I, but like some it, whenever I can, I, I do. I think it makes it easier to to distinguish how big the number is. I guess I always forget to. I just I know it's there, but I never use it. Um, but yeah. I think usually it's like when I'm counting the zeros with my finger on the screen. I'm like, no, no. Like, Maybe I just put a underscore there. It makes it makes everyone's life yeah. easier. Yeah, yeah. I've really started doing that a lot last couple years but before then i didn't cool well what is next merlo what you got for us um i think that's me on the screen yeah, yeah. um dbt have you ever First you got to accept you got to accept some cookies hold on oh I do. my bad my bad <laughs> just my bad, kidding bad. no i'm just teasing <laughs> i love I try, these cookie <laughs> things drive me crazy man i don't know like, yeah 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 i think it's anyway. like it's crazy how like now that it's popping up everywhere and then you see like the data the gathering all the time and this and this and it's like okay yeah yeah um but maybe DBT. Have you ever heard of DBT? Uh, is this something? Because in the data world, in my my field, it's super popular. But uh, I don't know if it's a bubble as well. I've never heard of it. Michael never heard. Yeah, of it. I think I I think I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you what it does. So uh, yeah, I'm so... basically in the same spot. Yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really cool tool. It's open source as well. They have their cloud uh, option, I guess, right? So you can pay and they host it. Um, maybe a disclaimer as well that I never. I always see it and I always want to use it, but I haven't found the use case. So I don't have first-hand experience here. Um, but basically, the way I would describe is that they add best practices around SQL projects. So well, my, why am I mentioning this on Python Bytes? Um, it's built with Python. Yay. Um, and the other thing, Yay. too, is that uh, yeah, um, they actually mix Jinja with SQL stuff. Right? So you can actually do for loops. You can do stuff like that. So you don't have to repeat every time and just change the variable. Um, you, they also have these like reference macros and stuff. So you can actually say, okay, this comes from that table that is on that file. And this comes from this. So you can actually chain a lot of these dependencies, right? Like there's a lot of projects that you have this ETL stuff, right? So you just have to basically transform it each step. And uh, with DBT, they actually keep track of what depends on what. And you can say, oh, I want the freshest data here. And you execute everything that it needs to be executed there. Um, wow. 
Yeah, so it's super cool. They actually support a lot of like data platforms here, right? So you see like BigQuery, Databricks, uh, Snowflake, all these things as well. Um, another thing that they also, more things that they do, they even have some data validation stuff, which in my field, it's a big thing too, you know, like maybe have an ID column that needs to be unique, cannot be null, and you want to make sure that that always happens. And if it doesn't happen, you want to be flagged, right? So that's super cool. Um, what else? Ah, you also have some built-in uh, documentation. So if you once you have the dependencies, you can say, oh, show me the DAG, you know, show me where the data comes from and what depends on what. So that's also super cool. And recently, actually, they actually started supporting, so like an SQL file kind of corresponds to a model, right? Oh, cookies again. Um, and um, so they have SQL models, so that's the, the one, but they also started supporting Python models, right? So this is very tied to data. So now you can actually mix and match, right? You can say this step, this transformation is in SQL, but this one is actually in Python, right? So the way they don't run anything on the machine, they actually send it to the cloud. So Snowflake has Snowpark, which is Python on its own Snowflake. Uh, BigQuery has Spark and Databricks as well, right? So basically you can mix and match. This transformation is here, this transformation is there, but everything is like in a nice, in one place and because it's on git as well you can have cicd i think also you mentioned i think it was you brian that mentioned sql fluff and sql fluff actually came from a dbt project as well so and it's all in python so super cool nice. wow that's really neat yeah. so what do the python models look like are they straight python classes or are they pedantic or i have i watch maybe i'm a bit lazy because i just watched the video and they were uh, uh -huh. they were showing here um how how it works because they're also doing a comparison right uh maybe this is can this no this doesn't work does it yeah it works. This, uh, no. this works yeah it was wrong okay uh this is but the quality is horrible it's but okay in a nutshell okay, so you, you have derive yeah you, you, you define stuff. a function okay, yeah you define a function okay. that has a dbt in a session and then you create a reference so reference basically a table right and you can say and then from that point on you can say two pandas and then you can just basically use the pandas api to transform that right so there's still some caveats right because panda is not super performant depending on how much data you have and whatnot so sometimes you probably still want to stick to uh the sql stuff but then it right. opens a lot of possibilities there too right so even stuff like deploying machine learning models on the sql infrastructure and everything so yeah so it's um kind of this same old same old story you know even if you work with an ORM, sometimes you don't want to bring all that data back to make some minor change and then put, you would just do a sort of an update statement instead of pull back 10,000 models, change something and call save 10,000 times, right? Like it's probably that kind of trade-off, but it's really cool that you can bring it back into Python this way. Um, what are you yeah, using yeah. it for in your work or like, what are you interested in using it for? Well, I think we have a lot of these like ETL pipeline stuff, right? A lot of these, um, we have some data here and then we want to like basically clean it up make sure it's all uniform and put in a dashboard, calculate some KPIs and whatnot, right? And so business people can see, are we doing better? Are we making more money or not? Kind of. Um, yeah. And like a lot of the times it's just SQL, right? It's also more accessible for a lot of people. So we stick to SQL, um, but there are also limitations, right? But before what I've seen is uh, people just kind of go in the UI and just execute stuff ad hoc. Right, so no versioning, nothing, and I think this kind of puts everything in one place. You can even add CI/CD because the CLI tool and everything, and just kind of make sure that everything goes to that versioned method. Let's say, I mean, and yeah. again, yeah, if you need something more more fancy, right, then you can throw some Python stuff in there. But usually, we try to avoid it, to be honest. I can imagine. Uh, let's see here. Uh, hold on. Yeah, the models, uh, the the way you express the code, it's like it's really nice looking for SQL. <laughs> which is surprising, right? This this code you write like with customers as select these fields from this this table and 
Yeah, yeah and they have uh, like you also have like the different macros and like people can write different macros. So like the describe function in Pandas, some someone can just have written that and you can import that and like it's it's really nice to share like all these things as well. So super cool. Really, nice. really eager to to give it a try, to be honest. I've been just like trying to scratch that. Like, yeah. scratch Wait, that when's itch. the next yeah, <laughs> when's that next project that we could use this on? Indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brian, anything you want to add before we jump over to uh talking about our sponsor real quick? Yeah, let's no, let's talk about our sponsor. All right. So um, today's episode of Python Bytes is brought to you by Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. The Microsoft for Startups set out to understand what startups need to be successful and created a digital platform to help you overcome those challenges. And they came up with Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub. The Founders Hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources to help solve startup challenges. The platform provides access to expert guidance, skilled resources, mentorship, and networking connections, technology benefits, and so much more. Founders Hub is truly open to all. You don't need to be investor-backed, but you can be. Speed up development with free access to GitHub and the Microsoft Cloud. You can unlock credits over time. And there's also discounts and benefits from innovative companies partnering with Founders Hub, such as OpenAI. You'll have access to mentorship, their mentorship network, which includes hundreds of mentors across a range of disciplines. Need advice on marketing, fundraising, idea validation? There's tons of topics, including management and coaching. You'll be able to book one-on-one meetings with the, with the mentors, many of whom many of whom are former founders themselves. It's no longer about who you know. Get critical support you need from Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub and make your ideas a reality today. Join the program by visiting pythonbytesfm foundershub 2022 That link is also in your show notes. Yep. Thanks, Microsoft, for keeping us going strong. <clears throat> All right. What have I got next? This one is a chain of really cool things. So Roman Wright of Beanie fame and other things tweeted about this project that Pablo Galindo Salgado has been working on. So Pablo was the release manager of Python 3.11. It was part of the, the live stream of releasing. That was all fun. But he also, I believe, works at Bloomberg where they work on Memray. And I think we spoke about Memray quite a while back, Brian. It's a, a memory profiling Maybe. tool. Maybe. Um, Marlo, do you use uh, profilers and that kind of stuff in your world? No, I haven't used much. Haven't haven't had the need to be honest. Not yet. I feel like Good. so far there's no. I'll try to keep it simple. Yeah. So a lot of times profilers are about performance, like how fast did this code run, and if it's slower, should I look at this loop or that loop, or you know where do you spend your time making it faster? Because it's really surprising when you look at code you're like this part looks complicated, so that must be the slow part. Like no, that doesn't matter. Nothing you do to that will make any difference. You got to look over here, right? That kind of stuff. But memory, as the name would suggest, is more about memory profiling and like talking about uh, you know how many of these different things have you allocated and what those kinds of things. What is coming? Well, first let me let me pull up. Uh, we have a PyTest plugin, which is super cool. So with a PyTest plugin, uh, you can do two things now. You can say PyTest dash dash memory tests, and it'll tell you uh, things like um, you can actually set limits on how much memory can be allocated for a certain operation. And if it exceeds that, it'll say, oh my gosh, there's something wrong. This thing is like way over using the memory we expected. So that's an error. But it also gives you like a cool uh, emoji filled summary, I guess, like total memory allocated, the number of allocations, a histogram of allocation sizes. So like Python memory has like size classes. Um, when we've talked about its block arena, 
one other term that <laughs> I'm forgetting, like that it uses to organize these data structures. And then you can actually get it overall, uh, then for individual tests. And so it'll tell you like the different things that were, you know, allocated. And yeah, anyway, it's, it's pretty, pretty insane. Okay. So you can get that report and then you can also, where's the other one? I think it's, where was it? There's a place where you put um, a decorator and you just say on this test, I, if it exceeds this amount of allocation, that should fail the unit test. It's just a, a pytest.mark. Oh, cool. memory limit or something like that. I think it's a limit or memory limit. I can't remember exactly what it's uh, what it's oh. called. And you can say, if this test exceeds one memory, uh, one megabyte of memory allocation, then that's a failed test, which is pretty cool, right, Brian? That's uh, really great. So they got yeah. a, yeah, they have a limit memory uh, decorator and a check leaks decorator. That's the one. So the check leaks is the new thing. And so what you can do now is you can say pytest.mark.checkleaks as a decorator on your test. And if there's a memory leak in the code that runs during that, it will let you know. Wow. I don't know if anyone else has tried to track down memory leaks. I would rather check track down like a multi-threaded race condition than a memory leak. I'm, I don't want anything to do with memory leaks. This is no fun. And so if I can do it with a decorator, let's do it. Well, and also decorating your tests so you're not having to modify your code at all to do this. The, I mean, the code under tests, you're modifying your test code, if if at all, um, or it looks like it gives you some benefits even with no modification. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe, pardon my ignorance here, but when would I worry about memory leaks in Python? I think, so imagine you're writing, um, imagine you're writing pandas, right? And you're, you've written a bunch of C code that's getting imported and you know, that you know, there's a memory leak in there somewhere. And it's just like, okay, well... <laughs> Uh, I don't really know how to. <laughs> but then it's more like the, the 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 C the C part is the the. the you can also have memory leaks in the sense that you expected there to be no more things allocated after the function was called, okay. but you could have signed it to a global variable, or you could have you know stored it, held onto a reference in some way that you weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. So it's not okay. a leak in the super traditional sense, but it could build up if you're you're doing something wrong in Python, but certainly outside of that. So cool. I think this is pretty cool. Really any long running service uh, uh, is going to have, you're going to be concerned about it. There's a lot of Python applications that are short running and it just cleans up after itself when it's done. Um, yeah. So there's, there's cases, long running services, also things like that maybe you care about, um, things that are using large amounts of data and, um, and need all of the data that they can get a hold of without wasting any, or um, that's uh, that's cool. important as well. Makes sense. I'm also yeah, wondering if you're right at the limit. Yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, if you're right at the limit of like I'm using 15 and a half gigs and I don't have more than that, so I need that. Or like uh, I just checked the Talk Python training site has been running for seven days and one hour. Yeah. Like if it had a memory leak, you know, it's yeah, even it's, if it's you know 100 kilobyte here and there, like it could turn out to be like a big hassle. So. Okay. Cool. I'm wondering if you well, could use this for uh, edge device stuff, if you want to limit the memory, because we know the edge device yeah. won't have that much. So That's an, actually a really good oh, yeah. point, because if you're on one of these like uh, CircuitPython little boards, they've got like 256K of RAM. And yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's very different than 16 gigs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right. But yeah, so you could test your application on a, a larger computer and limit it, limit how much memory you give it. So it's kind of different. Right. Yeah, I think you would want to do that with the limit than rather than the check leaks, but still. Yeah, but it's the same. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, awesome. All right, let's see uh, a couple of comments from the audience. Uh, Gareth out there. Hey, Gareth. Um, says, I ended up writing Docker containers that swapped out every couple hours to solve it. I mean, that's actually what a lot of people do. Is like, you know what? If it runs more than 12 hours, it's a problem. So we just tell it to re recycle itself. 
And then Madison says, this is so cool. I need memory profiling all the time with some of the data I do work with regularly. So people, people are digging it. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so thank you, Roman. I know you didn't send that in uh, to us on purpose, but you shared it with us anyway. Thanks. Nice. Um, <laughs> Over to you, Brian. Okay. Before I get on to the next topic, I want to point out that Henry Schreiner, um, I'm going to paraphrase him by saying, Brian, you dork. You didn't even read the article. Yes, you're right, Henry. Sorry. Um, so the uh, the new um, prefixes, I was showing the the previous new ones in 91 when they added Yocto and Zepto. These are not the new ones. The new ones are down here with uh, Rana, Queta, Ronto, and Quecto. <laughs> yes, the, the, the reason why those sounded familiar is because they've been around. These new ones, they're the new ones. Okay, so thanks, Henry, for clarifying that. Um, but on to the next topic is um, Will McCugan says, please steal my source code. Um, so uh, he wrote an article, Will McCugan wrote an article said, stealing open source code from textual. And he says, um, I would like to talk about a serious issue with free and open source software, steal the co stealing code. You wouldn't steal a car, would you? And then actually he has this funny video that he embeds about like how uh, like digital piracy really is like stealing. And it's a it's sort of a funny video. Um, but the, the comment is is real that like you need to you can steal code from open source projects as long as you can. So please read the uh, the MIT license or, or read the license to make sure that you can. And in a lot of cases, you can. So like um uh, I'm going to give an example that I, I use a lot is I'll think of something that I want to do, like I'm interacting with a library and I'm and maybe I don't quite get how to do that with the documentation. I could search GitHub for projects that use that library also as an example. And so that's a way oh. to, to look at other source code of how to how to interact with a project that maybe doesn't have the greatest documentation. You could see how it's done. Um, and I've honestly never thought to do that. That's a great idea. And that's I just the, go I'll That's go look great. at the tests and stuff. I'm like, these tests suck. There's not a single one that shows me like this use case that I'm looking for. This yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, some of the, uh, yeah, I use do that a lot with PyTest plugins because I look I look at how other plugins are testing their stuff. And uh, I'm like, oh, how do they do it? So uh, the, um, but so the warning there is he's not advocating for piracy. Um, open source code gives you explicit permission to use it. And if you're if you're actually just copying the whole thing, you, you probably should reference it and use the same license. Or if you're copying large chunks, but the MIT license, for example, says says it's substantial copying. So a little bit of copying is fine. And and Will says Textual has a, some cool stuff in it that you might want to look at. So he's got a loop. He points out some things you might want to steal. Uh, the loop first and last. So he's got a loop uh, iterator that um, he's got a couple versions of it that will not only iterate through things, uh, but it'll... Um, It'll give you, uh, it'll note which one's the first and the last. So if you need to do something uh, cool on something different on the first and the last one, do that. Um, he tweeted recently or tooted or whatever about uh, the LRU cache as well. So the Python's got a built-in LRU cache, but everything's global. So you can only kind of clear, there's limits on how you can interact with it. So he has a more flexible LRU cache. Um, he's got a color class that looks pretty cool that you can convert to different uh color representations that's pretty neat and then you know he's been working on a ton of geometry stuff 2d geometry so he's like you might want to use this for whatever 2d geometry you're using so here's there um so kind of cool a reminder that open source one of the benefits of open source is you get to see the source and learn from people so i like it i love your idea 
<laughs> You've never done that. Uh, I'm like, am I dense? I just can't figure this out. Oh, how are other people using it? Um, so that a lot. I just get frustrated and go into a new library. Like, this one sucks. I can't do this. I'm going to find another one. <laughs> it's not good enough. Merlo, are you an open source thief? Do you do this kind of stuff? Yeah, I have to admit, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> Stack Overflow thief, open source thief, is this, especially in the early, early days, right? Uh, but I think with yeah. the rich stuff too, it's very inviting for you to steal code because even the on the rich package, right? Like if you do Python-M rich table or whatever, you always show some really nice stuff on the table, on the on the terminal, right? And I was like, how how, did he, how does he do that? And uh, or like, I think for every component, he had a little demo that you can just run, and it's very it's very tempting. Even if he didn't want people to steal stuff from him, I feel like you have a hard time just keeping the thieves away, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool and funny too. I like it. Good job, good job, Will. Uh, where are we at now? All right, off off uh, to Marlowe's. Final item. Yes, this one so, I had not heard of either, and it looks pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a. Uh, I think it, it kind of it's one of the things that I saw. I was like, yeah, this makes so much sense. Uh, why? How come I never? I didn't think of this before. But uh, this is Shed. I mean, yeah, this is a podcast, right? So maybe um, Shed <laughs> is. <laughs> um, it basically, I think it's it's related to like bike shedding. Shed your your legacy code, right? So it, it's like a superset of Black, right? They call it Black Plus Plus here. So uh, they say here a maximally opinionated auto formatting tool, right? So it's all about configuration over uh, convention over configuration, which is also something that I can subscribe to. Um, they have no configuration options, uh, but basically it's a bundling of a lot of tools, right? So they have black here, uh, but they also have iSort and with the profile black, so it doesn't clash. Uh, they also have PyUpgrade, which I think you guys mentioned a couple of times, right? Yeah, and we did. Autoflake as well. The uh, Autoflake I didn't know actually before, uh, but basically it's uh, it removes un, un unused imports and unused variables from your Python code. So it's kind of like, yeah, that's all I wanted. Huh? It's like, all I, I wish I had this last week. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a one-stop one shop uh, and even do like a black in docs, right? So if you have doc strings or markdown or everything, it will, it will take that. It will black format that for you. So I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted. Okay. Know? Hold on. Black in docs. This is new <laughs> to me too. All right. Yeah. Oh, let's see. So this Run is black yeah, yeah. on Python blocks, uh, a sample code blocks. Yes. So in, if you have restructured text, markdown, even doc strings, it will it will format that for you. In oh, the, like you like blackening your readme, for instance. Um, so yes, think, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is good. Indeed. So yeah. I I have a uh, some stuff to talk about at the very end, just a little bit about blogging and writing and and some platforms and stuff. And that's all in Markdown. Like I could run this against all of my code samples on my blog to basically auto format <gasps> all code in the blog. That's that would awesome. be cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Exciting. The next time I write a book, I'm totally going to use that. Yeah. Or yeah. you're doing a book. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um. So I, I literally just like yesterday, the day before I was uh, uh, cleaning up some code. I finally got, you know, I kind of, I don't do it clean the whole time. I get it to work and then I like, you know, then I look at what I did stupid and there's, there might be some imports laying around that I thought I needed because you, you add an import and then you take the, that code out, but you do, you sometimes forget to take the import out. So I ran black on everything, of course. And then, and then I ran flake eight and I'm getting errors. I'm like, shoot, why didn't black just take those out? So now I've got shed and I take those out. For so. It does it all right. Like it's, it's great. Yeah. Because maybe it's the same, right? Like you're on flake eight is like, ah, yeah. The unused variable. Ah, okay. And then you have to go there one by one, you know, and it's like, it feels like there should be a nicer way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I it's, take... it's good. You have to pay attention to that because your unused variable might be a typo um, or That's something. You That's might true. think you're using it, uh, but 
That's true. That's true. Yeah, or it's like a global variable a module is supposed to share with something else, and it's a library. But in general, I mean, you could probably put like a hash, you know, QA or something on it. Well, I mean, yeah, and also you're you're uh, you're testing, so your test will catch it if you delete too much. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, well, really, really good one. Take your code out to the shed and whip it into shape behind the shed. <laughs> that's it. All right. All right. Well, Brian, what else we got? Extras. I got some extras. extras. You got some extras. Who should go first? Uh, You go first. Okay. Well, the thing that I've been working on is, um, is PyTest check. And I finally got, and I've been talking about this for like a month because I've been slowly uh, pulling this into shape. It's almost a complete, not really a rewrite, but I moved everything around and the code's a lot easier to read. And so it makes me happy. And I also changed the API. So I wanted to mention to everybody that you can either use um, so you can either use uh, from PyTest check, import check, uh, to get this check object, or you can stick the check object as a fixture. And either way, you get access to everything in the library. That's the only thing you have to do. And it, for people unfamiliar, PyTest check is a is a library that allows you to have multiple failures per test. You know, normally the recommendation is uh, try to fail on one thing, but sometimes you need lots of data. And I just threw in a little example that uses both. So if like it's using HTTPX to grab uh, grab the status code, and as long as the status code's 200, then I can check a whole bunch of stuff. I can check to make sure the redirect and encoding is right and uh, check for some in, some stuff inside the... I mean, you, you, these could be multiple tests, but if it really is, you're checking multiple parts of things. And for scientific work that I'm in measurement work that I do, I'm often checking like a tons of aspects of a waveform and it's really just making sure the waveform's right and that rightness is multiple checks. So use that. Uh, anyway, I... Didn't intend to break anybody, but I did break Brian's skin. So Brian came up at the beginning of the article. Uh, but he um, tagged me in a GitHub issue on his project. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh, I didn't intend to break that. So I fixed it this morning. So um, hopefully if if anybody gets broken by this, I was not intending to break anybody. Just let me know and I'll try to fix it. So. That looks great. How about you? Uh, Merlo, I know you have some as well. I'll let you go as well. Sorry. I don't go yes. too well. Maybe... Uh, yeah, I feel like I should have opened the, I didn't have the link up here, but oh, talking okay. about breaking stuff, uh, Flake 8 is not on oh. GitLab anymore. And, um, I actually didn't have issues with that because with pre-commit, right, you have to specify the repo. I already was on GitHub, but I actually heard from people, some people that they heard a lot of noise that Flake 8 is not on GitLab anymore. And then there was also this video from Anthony that is maintaining, right? pre-commit and flake eight he was explaining a bit because uh why what was the motivation from going from gitlab to github and uh yeah like <laughs> what's relatable is that like sometimes you break people's code but it's like it's not intention right but sometimes people can get very heated over these things so yeah just uh, maybe public service announcement you know change your your git repo to to github now for if you're using Indeed. flake as a pre-commit yeah Mm-hmm. You also had Mastodon.py, right? Yes, 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 that I did. I just, sorry, I flipped the order because I thought it was, it was, it was a segue there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, I wish I knew about this uh, like a week ago or so. That would have been yeah, awesome. You covered a toot, like Brian. I think, right? Yes, we covered toot. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So this is a... Uh... This was, I, to be very honest, I, I wasn't the one that found this, was my my boss. So shout out to Bart, if you're listening right now. Um, but this is basically just a wrapper around the, the Mastodon API, right? So you don't have to do requests. You can use, you have like a nice client library there to do all these things. So if you want to play around, create some bots, you know, or whatever, then uh, yeah, there's a nice convenient package now for you to do it. 
Oh, this is really cool. And it has, you know what? Documentations that say what functions it has. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Documentation. <laughs> Just read the code. I mean, it doesn't have too much, like the, like the seven or eight lines of code that are in the README, like gives you a really good boost, but it lets you register your app, which is one of the things if you go to the website, it'll show you which apps are registered for your access keys on Mastodon, but it won't let you create one on the website. So it's like a simple create app and you just give it a you know, your instance name and what file to save the access tokens over to and boom, you're good to go. Yeah. Oh. Have, you, have you guys already done stuff with the Mastodon or... Yeah, I you know on on the stream deck, the thing that controls the stream, I already wrote that thing when I when I push the one button, it it sends out the message automatically that this live stream is starting. And yeah, it uses that uses a little bit of toot and mostly just the straight a, API with HTTPX. But if I'd known about this, you know, I already used it. <laughs> now we know. Cool. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Anything else you want to share before we move on? Yes. Uh so there are a couple more things, but this one, this is the the Brazilian Emi that couldn't resist. The World Cup started. I don't know. If, are you guys soccer fans or not at all? So um, we've a, a fun soccer team here. We go see. Uh, I go see with the kids and stuff in town. Yeah. So the so I'm I'm also in machine learning. So a lot of data and like this time of the year, you know, there's a lot of like, oh yeah, the AI models are predicting this, this, and this. Uh, this one is one from Oxford. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out here. Um, so they they have a video on YouTube as well, which is cool. They explain the the math, and I I will go on a limb here and say they use Python because they even mentioned Matplotlib and whatnot. But this was basically just a big excuse to say that they predict Brazil to win. So, uh, you know, if this doesn't happen, it's all rigged. This The math suggests, the math <laughs> supports this. So Brazil must win this World Cup. And anything that is not all that, right. I'm going to be extremely disappointed. Um, now, this is a really cool. I, people are always looking for, like, realistic examples to learn and explore uh, libraries and tools. And this, you know, if you're into soccer and you care about the World Cup, this is great. Yeah, I think if you, yeah. There's, there's people, people are very creative. I feel like there's a lot of uses for it. Well, I'm sure this will happen because there's absolutely no corruption in soccer. So yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. Uh, cool. Uh, I, should I just keep going, or you want to take over? If you, you got more items, yeah, keep going. I have, take I have, us down the list. Well, I have two more. Sorry, I know you, you said yeah, I could have good. more than two, huh? so uh, you can just win. That. That's what this whole section's about. <laughs> Um, one, so for me, as a data scientist or machine learning engineer, we use a lot of notebooks, right? And I think they have their place in data science, but there are some tools that don't don't play very nicely with it, right? And I think in uh, Git diffs or PRs, they don't they don't play so nicely, right? So this is a I think it's public preview, I want to say, but I haven't actually seen this. But now GitHub is going to start supporting notebook diffs. So if you have a pull request, they're going to have a nicer uh, rendering of the notebook here, and you can actually see what the differences are. And I think before there was okay. a tool called review and B that you could add to GitHub. Um, but yeah, now they're just going to start supporting it. So I haven't seen how it looks, but I'm pretty excited about this too. One less headache for me. Yeah, that's excellent. Because before the diff would just be like, here's the diff of the JSON file. You're like, yeah, no, yeah, that's not yeah, what I was like. And also JSON <laughs> is just JSON. I just key value. So if you just change the, the order of some keys, it's just like, yeah, you have a lot of changes, but it's not, you don't care. Yeah. Oh, this looks really useful. Yeah. And uh, maybe one last, if that's okay. Yeah, I just pull this here. This is Lancer. So it's another CLI tool. I talked about linting before, right? So this is another kind of linting. And I say kind of because... Oh, so, uh, <laughs> you know... Black? Some definition you... of clean uh, lancing, uh, uh, of linting or cleanup, yeah. So this is like black, almost like black, but it's the opposite. So instead of making your code look nice, it would just make it like a, a hideous but working mess, right? So these are some of the, the features. Uh, it turns all your comments to Pitbull lyrics or something safe for work, depending if you want. Um, it takes all your variable names and mix into like 
uh, animal sounds and horribly <laughs> looks similar looking characters. So like bark underscore bark underscore zero o o zero o. It adds white spaces. <laughs> it adds completely irrelevant comments, and the code still runs after these improvements. So I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you have here some comments and everything. So before, like nicely formatted. And then afterwards, you see some comments like uh, bada beam, bada boom. You know, there's nothing like Miami Heat. Some alpha characters in your variable name. So uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty good stuff. Um, uh, again, I must say I haven't used this, but this is a tool that I'm not as excited to, to use. <laughs> I mean, there's, all, there's always times that you need to send out your code to different places and you would rather share it less than more thinking of like if you make a, a desktop app and you got to send out the code for that or whatever and you would want to obfuscate it you want to make it harder for people to just pick it up and like do stuff you could hit it with this they'd be like yeah no no we're just now we're just not doing that so my favorite <laughs> one is, my favorite ones on the screen is the uh adding obvious comments like uh setting the value of some um like <laughs> that's good <laughs> Um, that wasn't in the original, and it's just funny to. I mean, that that's actually not gibberish. It's just useless. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. The the uh, comments out in the live stream are really great uh, as well. People are enjoying it. One of them is it's great for Twitter employees. You can maximize your lines of code to, for review as that's coming up. Then you just print it out and you take it. And sidebar, like if somebody says print out my code so we can review it, they're not they're not uh, equipped to review the code that you may have written. Like if the word print involves in evaluating code, like, no, all right, just, I don't think so. So uh, leave that where that is, <laughs> but you could, you could put this on top of like, yeah, I'm kind of funky when I write codes. It's a little different. Let's get used to let's yeah. I just, I'm, it's a farm. It's a code farm. Yeah, oink, yeah. oink, oink. Yeah, you can so, have two sets of books kind of, you got your real repo and then you port, use this to, <laughs> <laughs> to put it into the actual one that you submit. Um, and you're like, I understand it. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> like, it, works, it works on my machine. I, was, uh, I don't know. Like, I kind of want to run this on a large code base. <laughs> See what it, like, like, so they're really it, complicated. Like, squash yeah. all the commits. Put, force push. Like, like textual. Fine. Release it as textual oink oink or something. <laughs> yes, I love it. Cool. All right. Well, this was this was a good a good find. Awesome. Thanks. All right. I'll 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 make mine quick here. So a new YouTube video. Uh, I talked about how you can install the Mastodon web app on your iPad as a native app as well as on your desktop. So uh, if you're doing that kind of stuff, um, not there. Basically, they just released Mastodon four a couple of days ago, and all the apps don't have features like edit and some of the other features that are there because they are like months behind. And so if you install the web app as an app, then guess what? It looks like an app, it acts like an app, but it has like zero latency. So as soon as something is released on the website, you get it, which is pretty cool. So people can check that out. Uh, I saw Madison in the audience, uh, she sent over a call for proposals or calling all Pythonistas, if you will, for Pi Cascades. So Pi Cascades is back in person this year in Vancouver, BC. It goes from Vancouver to Seattle to Portland and cycles through that uh, there. But so this year it's gonna be in, uh, Vancouver. So if you want to go up there and uh, talk, be part of the conference, a good conference. So call for proposals are open there. Yeah, but they're not open for very much longer. So uh, jump on that. Yeah, I don't remember what that. the date is, but it, it, it closes Wednesday 30th. So what is that? 
yeah, uh, Wednesday. Yeah, next Wednesday. Yeah, eight days. And Madison, and if you're in the audience, thank you. Is put in person this time. We uh, and we really value the first-time speakers and atypical talks. So get out there and, and put yourself out there and and get into public speaking. It's not a huge conference, but it's you know it's, it's big enough. A couple hundred people, three four hundred people. Uh, fun time. Uh, this is just really quick and, and fun. You know, if you're on a Mac, you're not as likely to get viruses sent your way that would actually be able to do something like 90% of viruses are written for Windows. But what's a really interesting fact, I just, if you do have a Mac, it turns out 50% of all macOS malware comes from one single app. Can you believe that? What is it, Safari? It, <laughs> no, it's um, <laughs> Mac Keeper. So if if you have MacKeeper, it like organizes your files and it'll like clean up your your junky cache and stuff. But apparently, it has to take over so much permissions, and it is like it can get I guess plugged in or I don't know what it does. But people can like plug into this and make it do all sorts of horrible stuff. So fifty percent of all malware is written for MacKeeper. So if you have MacKeeper, maybe unhave it. Unhave uh, okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I recently, as a Sunday, launched a new website that I hope will bring me back to writing some more. We'll see about how that goes. But here I'm, I'm trying a new philosophy on on blogging, Brian. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I have a blog. Been doing it for a long time, but like I looked, the last article I wrote was like 2020. I'm like, oh, that's not so good. <laughs> and the reason is, I would always try to write like 2,000 word posts that are really. And I'm like, but I could post to Twitter and Mastodon all day, and it's like I can just do that. That's no problem. I don't like fall behind on Twitter. I'm like, well, that's because these really should be super short posts. So I have. I've got this new website that I wrote that are just super short, you know, fits on a page type of articles that people can go and check out. So, yeah, some of the people, some people are promoting like today I learned things, um, but short and why not? I mean, if you think it, I, if you think it's going to be a thread, write a blog post. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're cool. So all of these are written in, this is all based on Hugo, which is a, just learned about it, but a ridiculously cool static site generator. Have either of you played with Hugo? I use it. I love it. Python. So pythontest.com is written on Hugo. So. It's ridiculous, right? It? No, Marlo, you haven't? <laughs> Sorry. No, I haven't used it, but I heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Heard nice things. Yeah. So, so you basically just go to your directory of markdown files and images. You just run Hugo dash D server, whatever. And then as you write, you have your your web page open in your browser and it automatically sees the markdown file changes or the CSS changes, regenerates it and refreshes your browser. Just so your browser could be just over there and it's just periodically, as you make changes, it instantly refreshes. So you don't even go and refresh the page to see how that you just write and the browser just watches and, and reloads. It's cool. Yeah. And I, so you got it so that you just, you just push it, push your changes to GitHub or, or your repo for, and it just appears on your website. It's like exactly. Magic. Yeah, exactly. So that was my my next thing is then I set up a Netlify free account with CDN SSL custom domain name. Push it just has a prod branch that I connected it to, and when I push to prod, boom, it just goes there instantly. So anyway, people are looking at that. That is super cool. Push to prod. And, oh, that's kind of cool. Well, I just I so, just edit on prod. So <laughs> I just log in. I edit over SSH. Yeah, <laughs> just enter the server. The server is the backup. Anyway, I, I have stuff on the screen, but there are no more backups. That's just stuff I pulled up while we we're talking. So, uh, no more extras. I mean, so yeah, fun stuff. Um, people check out the 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 blog website and the video and uh, apply for speaking at PyCascades. Nice. Well, I feel like Lancer also was like already really funny. But do you have anything else funny for us? Or 
I do, although I somehow forgot to pull them up on the screen. So give me just a second here. There's two. These are really good. Okay, these are these are pretty pretty epic. So this one is called. I think uh, Merlo, you'll you'll really like this one because it has to do with like algorithms and data science, and it's called messing with the algorithm. And it shows this this dude here. Don't mind the thing at the bottom. I have no idea what that's about. But see, there's this guy whose face is blurred out in the UK. I think I can't remember where this was. No, Berlin. And he's got a wagon, like a little red wagon that you pull behind you, full of 99 phones. Now, what he did is he got them all running Google Maps and left them open and started walking down the street real slow. And notice his neighborhood is now red on the map. And he got it. So it thinks there's a traffic jam and it'll send cars around his neighborhood. Nice. <laughs> I want to get one of these so bad. And whenever I take my dog for a walk, just walk with the wagon behind me, too. This is no cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so good, great. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy's so ahead of our time. He's just like, oh, he's, he's so cracking. brilliant. Yeah. He's looking and, out uh, for his neighbors. Yeah. The next one, the next one here is going to take a little bit of a, uh, I just got to, I got to set the stage. So give me a second to set, set the history. Have you heard of, you've heard about these motivational posters? You go into like a dentist's office, and it'll be like an eagle soaring over like a sunset. Like, if you don't spread your wings, you'll never soar as high as you could or something cheesy like that. Yeah. Well, there's this company posters. called, yes, exactly. There's a company called Despair. And uh, despair creates these, but like in reverse, they're called the demotivators. Yeah, nice. So, have you have you seen these? No. Oh, okay, so here's one like solutions, and what does it say? It has like a, a Rube Goldbergian type looking thing here, and it says solutions. This is what happens when the problem solver gets paid by the hour. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just out of control. Here's one. What is this? this? Is a frog wearing with a snail on its head? It says collaborate. So the best of us have to carry the rest of us. It's just like <laughs> you know, they're really. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to. I feel like this is a Brian Skin show a little bit. Um, this a tweet that uh, he shared here, and it <laughs> it has the latexify. Uh, Latecify thing, but recursion. And for the recursion, it has that demotivator. It's a picture that said recursion. Here we go again. And then embedded in that is recursion. Here we go again. It's like that, you know, like <laughs> if you're screen share, you see your own screen. Yeah. So it's kind of like that poster, but for recursion. Yeah. I, f I f kind of feel bad that people, people that don't get the recursion joke because they can't even look it up because it just, it's redirected. <laughs> it just keeps going. Like I, yeah. the definition is the definition. That's right. Nice. All right. Well, that's what I got for y'all. Well, thanks, everybody. And thanks, Michael, of course. And uh, thanks, Merlo, for coming on the show. Um, thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, you bet. Bye, everyone. Bye.